Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Who is Jesus? That is the most important question that you will ever ask yourself in this life. Who is Jesus Christ? There is nothing more important. There is nothing one person. There is nothing in this life that matters more than how you answer this one simple question. Who is Jesus? Because that is the one question that determines the way that you answer every question. The way that you answer this question determines who you date, who you marry, determines how you raise your kids, what you do with your money. It determines what you do with the rest of your life. How do you answer this one question, who is Jesus? Some of you, you know who Jesus is, that you grew up in the church, that you grew up in a pew, you were a good Southern Baptist, Awana-attending, Bible-believing little kid, and you grew up, and somewhere along the way, you walked away from the truth. You walked away from Jesus. You would say, I know who he is, but you don't actually believe him. Some of you, you are faithful, that you've been loving the church, loving Jesus, believing, hoping, trusting. You know who Jesus is, and and this is that Jesus is Lord, and you know that. Others of you, you come here today, and this is your first time, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, and you're asking yourself this question, who is Jesus? Others of you, you don't really know who he is, that you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up going to church, and so for you, all Jesus is is just another fairy tale, he's another folklore, that Jesus is just some character that we tell our kids about how to live a good and decent moral life, but you don't really know who Jesus is. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to answer this big, pressing, important question. We're going to look and we're going to learn and we're going to see who is Jesus because that's the most important question. And for us here at Redemption, this is a question that we've been wrestling with for the past year as we dive into the Gospel of Mark. We're doing a sermon series over the Gospel of Mark that we call the Simple Gospel because here at Redemption, we really truly believe that the Gospel is is simple. We believe that life can be complicated. We believe that matters of faith can get a little complicated. But here we believe that the gospel is simple. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus does, and how Jesus wants to change your life. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. And here's the sermon title for us today. You ready? Jesus is rejected. How's that for a grand opening sermon, right? You come to church and you're, you're ready and you're excited and you're like, I'm ready for the food truck. I can't wait for games with the kids. It's the grand opening. This is going to be amazing. What's that preacher guy going to tell me about? Jesus is rejected. Welcome to redemption. You're like, oh, don't. You're like, but this is so, so, so important. And I'm just so jacked up. I am so fired up. I am excited. Like, I was so excited. I went out and got me a brand new black t-shirt. That's how excited I am. 
for our study today because, because there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing more like Jesus. There's nothing more amazing than knowing who Jesus is. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And here's what we see this. He, that's Jesus, he went away from there and he came into his hometown. That's a small place called Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him there, they were astonished. And here's what they said. Where did this man get these things? Where is his wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And so then they start asking some questions. And here's what they say. Is not this the carpenter? Okay. They said, who is Jesus? How are these works done by his hands? And then they begin to ask some questions. They say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. It's interesting to see just how quickly people's opinions of Jesus begin to change. I want you to notice just how quick the mood in the room changes, that they go from questions to accusations. They go from astonishment to offense. They're asking this question, who is Jesus? And then it becomes, who does Jesus think that he is? And Jesus said to them, here's his reply, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and even among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. If you're new to redemption, what you need to understand about our church is that we love the Bible and we love to preach the Bible. One of our favorite ways to preach the Bible here at Redemption is that we go verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter through entire books. That we'll pick a book, we'll live in the book, we'll learn the book, we'll study the book, we'll meet together in community groups, and then we'll just talk about the book. Because we love this book, we love the Bible, and our favorite way to teach through the Bible is just to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and then we just work our way all the way till the very end, until we finish it, or Jesus comes back. But either way... We're going to keep preaching the Bible. And so some series, what we'll do is we'll do smaller books of the Bible. So we just finished a series through the books of 2nd and 3rd John. They're the shortest books in the entire Bible, the last books to be written. And it's only about 200 words per book. And it took us four weeks to do those two books and one big idea. His name is Jesus. And so we, we preach through smaller books, but sometimes we pick a larger book of the Bible, like Mark. Mark here is 16 chapters, and so it's going to take us about two years to preach this book. And I know what you're thinking, two years? I don't even like when my microwave takes two minutes to cook a Hot Pocket. There's no way I'm going to sit here and listen to this guy yell at me for two years. No way. And so here's what we do. Because we love you and because we know that you have ADD and you can't really even focus on anything for longer than that, so here's what we decided we're going to do. We decided that instead of preaching two years, verse by verse, all the way through at the exact same time, we're going to break it up in individual sermon series spread across the period of two years. And so we've already done two, and today begins the third series in our study in the Gospel of Mark. And the major theme and thrust behind this series is the subject of faith. 
Mark is going to teach us a lot about faith. What does it mean for us to have faith? What does it mean for us to believe and expect and to see God move in amazing ways? And we're going to see some incredible stories about faith. But before we get into that, because I know that many of you are, are new and this is your first time and your guests, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much. It's amazing to see you. You look great today, by the way. Thank you for all of you new guests coming in and hanging out with us. So here's what I want to do. I want to start off by doing a recap of everything that we've covered in the Gospel of Mark thus far. So here's what we see. When you open up in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, here's what you see. A crazy guy in the middle of the woods just yelling at people. His name's John, the greatest man who ever lived. He lives in the woods, and he wears camel skin, he eats bugs, and he drinks honey. Like, that's John the Baptist. And here's what his ministry looks like. He says, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent, 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 and get down in this water, and you be baptized, and I just see him choke slamming people down into the River Jordan. He's this wild, crazy cousin of Jesus just telling people, repent, because here's what John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was a messenger who has come to prepare the way for the soon coming Messiah, and he comes preaching, and he comes baptizing, and then here's what happens. Out of nowhere, Jesus, he comes walking right up to John. John recognizes Jesus, says, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus is baptized by John. As soon as Jesus goes down in the water, he comes back up. You see the sky crack. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the voice of the Father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus is baptized. As soon as he comes up from his baptism, empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin his earthly life and ministry, from baptism, Jesus goes to battle. That Jesus goes from the water straight into the wilderness where he is tempted by and he overcomes Satan. And then John the Baptist, he's arrested, he's thrown into prison. Jesus, he comes back on the scene and Jesus comes preaching. Right, you need to understand that Jesus was a preacher. Jesus loved to preach and Jesus taught. Some people are like, I don't really like sermons. Well, you don't really like Jesus much because Jesus comes as a preacher. And Jesus preaches. The first words out of Jesus' mouth is repent and believe that the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Turn from your sins, accept and welcome and live in the kingdom of God. That Jesus says, believe in the kingdom of God. Everything you've been looking for, everything you've been expecting, everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been longing for is ultimately only found within me. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. And his name is Jesus. He comes to bring this great kingdom of God. And Jesus, he was a preacher. But not only was Jesus a preacher, but he was also a healer and a miracle worker. And his miracles sought to confirm the message that Jesus comes to teach about the kingdom of God. And so everywhere Jesus goes, he's healing. He's helping other people. He's performing miracles. Jesus is doing mighty signs and wonders that nobody has ever seen before, nor have they seen since. There is nobody like Jesus, and nobody can do the things that Jesus does. And because Jesus goes around just healing, helping, loving, serving as many people as possible, all of a sudden, what happens is there's a large crowd that people just begin to flock and want to follow after Jesus because he's healing everybody. Just think about it. He's like a walking hospital with no insurance, no deductible, no copay. That's Jesus. 
right? Everyone's like, yes, that's what, I, that's what I need. And so people are running to Jesus, and they want to know, what is Jesus going to do next? What is Jesus going to say next? In Mark's gospel, we see that there are some crowds, upwards of 5,000 people, right? In that day, that was unheard of. Still to this day, that's incredible. I mean, we would say this, that Jesus was trending, Right, that Jesus had gone viral. Right, he's number one on iTunes. Like everybody on CNN and Fox News is losing their mind about him. And then all, Twitter is just blowing up, and you got people on both sides just arguing, yelling. And here's the question they're asking: Who is Jesus? Where did he come from? What is he doing? How does Jesus do the things that he does? Who is Jesus? Nobody knows. But the crowd, they're really excited. But there's another group of men, they're not really excited. Not everybody is stoked on Jesus. There's another group of men, they're called the Pharisees. Like, womp, womp. You ever heard of those? They're the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees. They're the ones who keep the tradition, keep the Torah, keep the law. And so the Pharisees, they see Jesus, and then all of a sudden, they become very indignant towards him. Because Jesus, he doesn't do things the way that they do them. That Jesus, he doesn't follow their rules and their regulations, nor their traditions, because their traditions come from man, not coming from God. And so Jesus, he doesn't dress like them. He doesn't act like them. He doesn't fast like them. He doesn't think like them. He doesn't do the same things that they do. And so they become very angry at him. And on one occasion, they literally look at him and they say, who do you think you are? And then they plotted to kill him. And as the scene becomes very volatile and very, very intense, what Jesus does is this, is that Jesus begins to flee for his life. And so Jesus leaves, he grabs his disciples, and he says, okay, boys, let's go across to the other side. Then Jesus gets in a boat, it's the middle of the night, they're in the middle of the storm. The storm, it comes out of nowhere. The winds and the waves begin crashing and thrashing all around the boat. The boat begins to break in half. The disciples, they're fearful and afraid for their lives. And they begin to say, teacher, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? Jesus, you need to wake up. And then Jesus, he gets up from his nap. And he goes and stands on the edge of the boat. And he says, peace, be still. And immediately, the sea is still. That the storm has been calmed. And then the disciples, they turn and they looked at each other, and here's what they said. Who is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? What you'll notice as we do our study through the Gospel of Mark is that nobody knows who Jesus is. You think that's very interesting, because we, we open it up, and you know, John the Baptist, and the crowd, and then you see... Then you see the disciples, the people who love him. They're doing life with them. They're connected to him. They're learning from him. They're doing ministry together. They're in a community group together, and they don't even understand who Jesus is. The crowd and the religious leaders and the disciples, they don't know. Nobody knows who is Jesus. And so what we're going to see today is that Jesus is going to go back to his hometown. And they're going to begin asking this same question that you're asking today. The same question has been asked for 2,000 years. Here's the question. Who is Jesus? And you would think that as Jesus goes back to his hometown, they would be the ones who would recognize him. I mean, he grew up there, right? He was born in Nazareth Hospital. Like, that's Jesus, right? Jesus grew up. He went to Nazareth Junior High. I mean, these people, they, they know him, right? They, 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 
they played t-ball together. They went fishing together. They built forts together. They got it. You know, they, they lived their life for 30 years. Nobody knows Jesus better. This is his family. This is his friends. This is his city. This is his hometown. And you think as Jesus rolls into his hometown that people would be cheering him on. Yeah, this is our hometown hero. Right? He's a local boy who made it big. Let's throw him a parade. Let's, let, let's celebrate. Let's throw a big party. Let's give him a key to the city. Jesus has come back home. You think that's what they would do. But tragically and sadly, they reject him. The people who knew him the most rejected him. Well, how is that possible? Jesus says, because of their unbelief. It's possible for you to know who Jesus is and still reject him. It's possible for you to grow up with Jesus and still reject him. It's possible for many of you who grew up here in Southeast Texas to know who Jesus is and have nothing to do with him. It's totally possible. We see it in Nazareth. We see it in our own lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at today that Jesus is rejected. You can go to church every single week for your entire life and still not know who Jesus is and still reject him. Nazareth did it, and many of us, we still do it today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus is rejected in, in just a sec, but I told you at the beginning that this is a series over faith over believing in God, over trusting for God to do amazing things. And in this series, God's going to do some incredible things through the life of Jesus. I mean, it's insane. I mean, Jesus, he's going to walk on water. Right? Jesus, he's going to feed 5,000 people with just a Lunchable. I mean, that's what Jesus is going to do. I mean, we're going to see some incredible things. He's going to cast out a demon. He's going to heal a deaf person. He's, he's going to spit in a guy's mouth. Read it. It's incredible. Jesus is going to do some amazing things, and it's a big story about having a big faith. But Mark starts with unbelief. Because if you want to see God do amazing things, you've got to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, you're not going to see God move in your life. And so Mark, he starts by teaching us about unbelief. So here's what we're going to see here. The first thing we're going to see is this, that unbelief misses the obvious. Here's what we find in verse 1. He, again, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. That's an important word. Hold on to that saying, where did this man get these things? Where does his wisdom given to him? How are such works done by his hands? Here we see that Jesus rolls back home. He goes to Nazareth. Now, for Jesus, this is not a vacation for him. He's not going back home to have a nice little family dinner with his mother, right? He, he didn't go back to, you know, have a high school reunion, connect with some of his old friends. He didn't want to go back to Spanky's and kick him back with all of his buddies that he went to college with. That's not the reason that Jesus is going back to Nazareth. For Jesus, this is an opportunity for ministry. That's the reason he brings his disciples with him, because he's giving them an opportunity to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's all Jesus was about. So as Jesus is teaching in, in Galilee, what he's doing is he's revealing the kingdom of God through his words and through his works, through the, through the message and the miracle. 
and, and the disciples, they're, they're following him. And then Jesus says, you know what? I want to go back home. I want to go back to my friends. I want to go back to my family. I want to go back to the people that I know and the place that I grew up in. And I want to give them the same opportunity that I've given them. I want to give them an opportunity to experience life change and to come to know the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so he takes his disciples and then he goes back to Nazareth. So for him, this is an opportunity for ministry because he wants to see the city be changed. And Nazareth is a, is a, a small, small town, and Jesus rolls in. And what is the first thing that Jesus does? Well, he goes to church. That, that's what Jesus does. The first thing Jesus wants to do is says, where's the synagogue? It's the Sabbath. I'm fired up. I'm ready to preach. I, I want to preach. So that's what he does. He goes to the synagogue. That's the old covenant equivalent of the church. Okay, and God's people would meet in the synagogue, they'd read the scriptures, they'd read the Bible, they'd pray for one another, it would operate like a community center, and so it was the central hub of all of the region that was there, and it was on the Sabbath day, which is their holy day. And so everything stops on the Sabbath day, and everybody goes to the synagogue, and then Jesus is invited to stand up there and preach, and Jesus says, I got me an opportunity, I'm ready to preach, I'm jacked, I'm ready, here we go. And Jesus comes, and the first thing that Jesus does in Nazareth is Jesus, he begins to preach. Okay, because Jesus, he was a preacher. And when Jesus preached, it was incredible. Right? As Jesus preached, it literally says here that people were astonished. Okay, in the Greek, that word means to strike the mind. We would say it like this mind blowing. Boom. Right, that's how Jesus preached. I mean, Jesus, he was passionate. He was excited. He was, he was bold. He boldly proclaimed the fullness of the good news of the gospel. And Jesus comes as a preacher, and then people are excited. They're like, this is incredible. This is amazing. They're astonished, mind blown, never seen anything like this before. And here's the reason why. Because when Jesus preaches, he has authority. The scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they didn't have authority. As Jesus teaches, it's just so different because the religious leaders that they were used to, they were just, they were just boring. And I say that and you're like, well, how does that mean this is boring? No, 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 literally they were, they were boring. Here's, here's the way that they would teach the Bible. Right? They, they would come you know, in the synagogue and they would open up to the scroll of Leviticus. And here in Leviticus, it says, do not wear mixed fibers, nor cut the sides of your hair. And then they would just shut the scroll, and they would sit down in a chair, and because they had no authority to actually teach, here's what they would do. They would just quote dead guys. And so they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so said that. And there was a book written a long time ago, and it had some footnotes in it. And there was a footnote about a footnote, and then there was the appendix in the back, and you had to follow from A to Z to be able to figure out what it's talking about. And then some guy, dead guy said this a long time ago, and who knows, they all disagree, but maybe, maybe some, I don't know, the end. Like, that's the way that they, they preach. Jesus comes in, and he says, you've heard it said, but this is what I tell you. On this day, this word has been fulfilled. Jesus preaches with authority. He's passionate. He's excited. He's winsome. He's got wisdom. He's funny. He tells jokes. He's engaging. Jesus, he was amazing. And whenever people heard this, it says that they were astonished. But here's the deal. You can be astonished and still be filled with unbelief. You can hear a great word, and you can walk out this door totally unchanged. 
That's exactly what happened in Nazareth. As Jesus preaches, all of a sudden, they start asking a lot of questions. They're like, this is incredible. Wait, hold on. Before we get too excited. Uh, let me ask a couple of questions here. And here's what the questions are that they ask. They say, where did he get these things? They're like, Jesus, you never went to school. And Jesus, you didn't go to seminary. Or you didn't go to rabbi Bible college. Where did you get these things? And then they say this, where did he get this wisdom? Where did this wisdom come from? They're like, Jesus, come on. Right. right. We, went to, we went to school together. We were in the same PE class. We went to public school. I know you didn't get this wisdom from Miss Smith. Where did you get this wisdom from? Where does this wisdom come from? Where did he get these things at? They're like, Jesus, we played t-ball together. Like, we, we, we know. Like, where did you get these things from? And then here's the other one they say. They say this. They say, how does he do these miracles? They say, this is amazing. I heard that, that Jesus, he healed a person. I heard that, that a guy grew a hand back. Like I heard he calmed the storm. I heard he cast out a thousand demons out of a guy. I heard that he raised the dead. How did he do that? That's incredible, but how does he do that? Well, the answer is obvious. How does Jesus preach with authority? How does Jesus teach with wisdom that comes from God? How does Jesus perform works with his hands, mighty wonders and miracles? How does Jesus do it? The answer is obvious. Jesus is God. No, 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 no. I don't believe that. I can't believe that. There's no way that Jesus is God. There must be another reason. There must be another way because that is ridiculous, Jesus being God. But here's what unbelief does. Unbelief misses the obvious. What unbelief calls ridiculous, faith makes obvious. But many of us, we still wrestle with this to this day, that what unbelief calls ridiculous, Faith calls obvious. I mean, just think about it. Today, people are like, no, no, no. I don't believe that Jesus is God. I, I just don't believe it. That maybe Jesus was a good man. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was a person who said some things that taught us how to live a good life. Maybe all Jesus was was just one religion among many religions. Maybe he was one leader among many leaders. Maybe he was just like the Buddha. Maybe he was just like Krishna. Maybe he was like Vishnu. Maybe he was like Oprah, whatever it is. That's all Jesus is. And what unbelief would say is ridiculous, faith, on the other hand, it would say that is obvious because there is no one like Jesus. There is no one who has ever been like Jesus. There is no one who has ever taught like Jesus. There is no one who has ever made the claims that Jesus makes about himself. I mean, just consider it. Just think about the claims that Jesus made. That no other major religious leader has ever declared himself to be God. The Buddha never said, I am God. Christian never said, I am God. Muhammad never said, I am God. Oprah, maybe she said it. I don't really know. But nevertheless, Jesus publicly, emphatically, undeniably declared himself to be God. And for that reason, Jesus, he was rejected. And it's those claims that led to the cross. It's those claims where they said, who do you think you are? A mere man who claims to be God. And Jesus was rejected and Jesus was killed because of the words that he said. And then some of you would say, no, 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 no. 
I don't believe that. I can't believe that because, well, you know, I, I went to I, I went to community college and I took a you know history as literature class, and that's not what they told me. Like, no, no, no. I watched a documentary one time on the History Channel, and it came on right before Ancient Aliens and right after Pawn Stars. And the guy with the crazy hair, he told me that Jesus never really existed. Okay, well, let me tell you this. If you get your theology from the History Channel, it's obvious that you are ridiculous. Okay, that's not where we learn from Christian. And so there's no scholar, secular or Christian, who would ever tell you that Jesus never existed because there is real, verifiable proof from extra-biblical texts, historical documents that would point to the existence of Jesus, that Jesus was a real person. And then others, just think about this. Okay, other religions, we know where their leader was buried. Like you can go to the Dome of the Rock, that's Muhammad's tomb. That the Buddha, he has a cemetery, a place of, of reverence for his life. And we can see famous political, religious figures, and after they die, they enshrine them. But where is Jesus buried? Nobody knows. How is it possible that the largest faith movement in the history of the world. Some scholars would say upwards of 10 billion people with the B in the last 2,000 years have professed faith in Jesus as their Lord, Savior, Christ, and King. And nobody knows where he was buried. The reason is this, because Jesus didn't need his grave. That Jesus didn't need the tomb because he was only there for three days. And then Jesus, he resurrected. And you would say, no, 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 that's ridiculous. But I would say, look at this. What you say is ridiculous. Faith, it makes obvious that it's obvious that there's no one like Jesus. It's obvious there's no one who has claimed to be the type of person that Jesus was. It's obvious that Jesus' resurrection is the vindication of his words, of his works, of his life. What you would say ridiculous, faith makes it obvious. The amount of mental and historical and theological gymnastics that you have to go through to be able to deny the death, burial, and resurrection is absolutely insanity. That Jesus, he really lived. Jesus, he really died. Jesus, he really rose. And then Jesus, he really is alive, and he really is still changing lives to this very day. That's obvious. And you can look around the room, and every person here, would be able to tell you a story of life change as well. It's obvious. But unbelief misses the obvious. And, and then here's the next questions that they say. Number two is this. Unbelief focuses on the irrelevance. Right? Some of you, you would come here today and say, okay, Byron, I'll give you that. Right? I, I'll give you all of those things. There's nobody like Jesus. But here's the reason I don't believe in God. Because one time I went to church, and you know, I don't like the church, and I don't really like Christianity, and sure, Jesus, maybe, whatever, but I don't really like the church. I went to church, and well, the church was just too, it was just too big. Really? Like, that's your excuse, like, for not following Jesus because the church was too big? I mean, what else do you say in any other area of your life? Oh, I don't like going to Minute Maid Park because it's just too big. I mean, look at all these people watching the Astros. I don't like going to Cowboys Stadium because it's too big, right? No, you wouldn't say that. You're like, I don't like going to Sam's Club because it's just too big. There's aisles are wide, and I got this big cart, and I just can't really seem to make this happen. I, I, I just don't, don't want to go. That's irrelevant. 
And some people would say, no, no, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to follow Jesus because I met a Christian one time and he was, he was mean and he was rude and he told me that I was going to go to hell and, you know, I just don't really, I just don't want anything to do with that. Okay, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant what other people tell you. I didn't ask you what he said. I asked you who you think Jesus is. I mean, just think about it. To reject Jesus based upon one interaction with the person is like rejecting music altogether because you heard one Nickelback song. That just doesn't make any sense. Okay, one, because music is awesome. Two, Nickelback is okay. Three, it's irrelevant. And others of you, people were just, when we were doing our social media push for the big day today, people were like losing their minds that we would have a food truck at church. They're like, oh, that's the reason that I don't, I don't believe in God because, look, they have a food truck. How rude of us to be able to provide food for our guests. You're like, oh, well, more pizza for me, and that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And some people are like, oh, no, no, no. The church, the church, you know, they're all just hypocritical, judgmental, bigoted, intolerant. Not like me. Really? Because what you're saying kind of sounds hypocritical, bigoted, and intolerant. And it sounds irrelevant. I didn't ask you what you thought about the church. I asked you what you thought about Jesus. Quit changing the subject. I didn't ask you what you thought about politics. I didn't ask you what you thought about other people. I didn't ask you about what you thought about Christianity. I didn't ask that. I asked you, who is Jesus? Quit changing the subject. But here's what happens. Unbelief focuses on the irrelevant. And some of us, we just need to be honest with this. Our reasons for rejecting Jesus are nothing more than selfish excuses. That's exactly what we see here. They hear this amazing sermon, and they're like, well, hold on, we gotta gotta ask some some questions. And then they begin to focus on the irrelevant. Here's, Here's what happens. They say this. They say, is this not the carpenter? Like, really? That's your, that's your response to Jesus? Great sermon. No, wait. He was a carpenter. Mm. Okay, what about this one? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters with us, and they took offense at him. Now, Nazareth is a small town. Most scholars would say anywhere between 100, maybe 300 people at max. It's a small, poor, rural town with nothing to do, with no one to see, no reason to go there, filled with a bunch of nobodies. Like, that's, that's Nazareth. And if you need to figure out, well, what is Nazareth like? Okay, Vider. That's Nazareth. <laughs> like, all it has is one red light, one gas station, one castle lay, and no reason to go there. That's, that's Nazareth. And some of you are like, wait, hey, I'm from Vider. It's cool. Jesus was from Nazareth. It's all right. (laughs) And so if you're from a small town like that, here's what you know. Everybody knows everybody, and their favorite thing to do is talk. And so Jesus comes into Nazareth. He's ready to preach. He's excited. He's passionate. He's fired up. Jesus preaches a sermon, and they say, no, 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 Jesus. We know who you are. We know you, and we're not going to listen to you. Why? Well, number one, they say, because he's a carpenter. That doesn't even make any sense. That's irrelevant. So you're not going to listen to the words of Jesus because he built you a table or fixed your fence? 
It doesn't make any sense. You're like, oh, carpenter, oh, I can't be the Messiah, son of the world, because he had to have a job before he started. You're like, really? Like, that's your excuse? That he had to provide for his family? He had a job, he swung a hammer, wore a Nomex, like, that's the reason? He had to do something, and your response is really just irrelevant. But that's what it does. It looks for any excuse to be able to justify their unbelief. So the first thing they say is, oh, no, no, he was just a, a carpenter. And then the second thing they say is this, the son of Mary. Now, we would read this today, and we think, oh, yeah, Mary, you know, Mother Mary, right? But really, in that day, this was a really big insult. Because you would follow the family lineage to the line of the father. You would never refer to a person, especially a man, as the son of their mother. Just think about it today. What other euphemism we would have that says son of a... That's exactly what they say to Jesus. They say, Jesus, we won't listen to you because we know your past. We know that you were a carpenter. We know that you were the son of Mary. We know James. We know Joseph. We know Judah. We know your sisters too. We know Mary. They all came from Joseph. But where did you come from? Who are your father? We're not going to listen to you, Jesus, because here's the deal. All you are is the illegitimate son of a poor teenage girl. We have no respect for you. We're not going to listen to you. Who do you think you are to tell us what to do when your mother was a whore and you're nothing but a bastard? You're like, wow, that escalated quickly. But I want you to see just how quick people's opinions about Jesus change. That they go from being astonished to making accusations. They go from being amazed to being offended. How many of you know Jesus still offends people to this day? That some people are still offended by Jesus. I mean, you can start talking about God and everybody's like, man, okay. You say, Lord bless you. Okay, that's fine. But you start saying, Jesus, nobody's going to bake you a cake. Some people are still offended by Jesus. They think, okay, Jesus is the only way. That's, that's not true. So you mean to tell me that I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, that I'm in my sins, and the only way for me to go to heaven and live forever is to give my life to Jesus? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. No. And just see how people begin to get offended when you begin to talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus was offensive 2,000 years ago, and no matter the PR campaign we put behind him, no matter what Mr. Rogers' sweater we put on him, Jesus will always be offensive because people don't like being told they're wrong. People don't like being told to repent. People don't like being told that there is one way, and that's through him. Jesus is offensive, but here's what we got to understand. We got to understand this. The people in this story, they did not deny the miracles. They just rejected Jesus. They didn't deny his teachings. They just rejected him as a savior. It's possible for you to see a miracle, to hear a sermon, and still reject him as your savior based upon irrelevant reasons. That's the reason that they do it, and that's the reason that so many of us do it. And here's what I've discovered. If you allow irrelevant reasons and excuses to dwell in your heart, here's where it's going. You're going to be offended. 
You're going to take offense at Jesus if you allow irrelevant excuses to be able to live in your heart. Eventually, you will become offended at Jesus. I know that because that's my story. That my story is that I was raised in the church, that I grew up in the church praying grandparents, Bible-believing, tongue-talking grandparents who would bring me to church every single Sunday, and that I raised my hand at Children's Church. I wore a Jesus is my homeboy shirt. I had a WWJD bracelet. I went to the youth camps. I was baptized when I was six. I was right there for the whole ride until I hit the age of 16, and then I was out. Because someone said something to me one time, I just decided, you know what? I don't believe in this anymore. I turned my back on Jesus. I walked away from him, and I lived my own life. And during those periods of years, if you were to come to me and you were to ask me, do you believe in God? Who is Jesus? Here's what I tell you. Yes, I believe in him, and I hate him because I didn't want to live my life for him. I didn't want to listen to him. I didn't want to learn from him. I definitely didn't want to live for him. I didn't love him. I believed in him, but I didn't like him. And the same thing happened to Nazareth, and the same thing happened in my heart. And the truth is, the same thing is happening right here in Southeast Texas. That people are growing up knowing who Jesus is and walking away from him. Why? Because of irrelevant excuses. That somebody said something one time, somebody did something another time, that you read a book, you read a blog, you watched a YouTube video, and so you thought, that's my reason. That's my excuse to walking away. Why? Because unbelief focuses on the irrelevant. What does it matter if he was a carpenter? What does it matter if he was the son of Mary? He's either God or he's not. Quit making excuses. But unbelief, it focuses on the irrelevant, which leads to number three. This is what happens when you allow unbelief to turn into offense. Unbelief prevents the miraculous. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. The euphemism we would say to this is that familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that? That the more that you get to raised in this, grow up in this, the more likely you are to become contempt towards it. And so he says, he says this, a prophet is not without honor except his hometown amongst his relatives and even in his household. His hometown rejected him. His family rejected him. His friends rejected him. Everybody that Jesus knew, that he grew up with, that he went to school with, that he built tables for as a carpenter, son of Mary, everyone in the city of Nazareth straight up rejected Jesus. And here's what Mark tells us. And he could do no mighty work there. The one who does mighty works with his hands in Nazareth could do no mighty work, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And here's what it says. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You know what Jesus finds mind-blowing? Is unbelief. The one thing that I've read that it says that Jesus was marveled, that Jesus was shocked at. The one thing that Jesus thought was unbelievable is this, that you can know who he is and still not follow him. That's the one thing that Jesus was ever shocked at. I would rather you to be an atheist than for you to be apathetic. The one thing that Jesus is shocked at is the one thing that we wrestle with. We know who he is and we don't care. Jesus says, that's unbelievable. Your unbelief is unbelievable. And here's here's where he goes. He marveled because their unbelief and he went out among other villages to teach. The result of unbelief 
is that it stops God from moving in your life. The result of unbelief is that it literally prevents the miraculous from happening, that you will not experience a move of God in your life if you are filled with unbelief. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't or Jesus couldn't. Here it says that Jesus could not do another miracle in that town. But it's not that he was physically incapable of performing this miracle because it also says at the same time that he healed some. So we know that he could still do it. But it was not a mighty work. It's probably like, you know, a stomachache or, or a headache, right? Oh, you got a stomachache? There you go. Good for you. Right? You got a headache? Look, boop. There you go. Good for you. Right? And he could do that, not to diminish headaches or stomach aches, but it's not a mighty work. Because as we're reading through Mark, you see some mighty works. You see some crazy things. I mean, one guy is lowered from a ceiling, and his legs are broken. And Jesus is like, oh, you're paralyzed? I forgive you. He's like, Jesus, what about my legs? And then Jesus says, get up and walk. And he took his mat and he walked home. There's another time where a guy was a leper, the lowest of the low. He's had leprosy for years that his face is falling off. His bones are breaking. His skin is rotting. And Jesus restores the man from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, totally restored. There's a woman who has an issue of blood. She bleeds for 12 years. The doctors only make her worse. She touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. Instantly, she's healed. We've seen a man with a withered hand just grow back an arm. You're like, do you need an arm? Boop, there you go. Right? Oh, you don't have eyes? Boop, there you go. You're dead? Boop, you're alive. Here, Nazareth? None of that. Why? Because of their unbelief. Here's the reason. God has chosen faith to be the vehicle for the miraculous in your life. That God has chosen to work through a person's faith. That when you believe in him, when you hope in him, when you trust in him, when you call out to him, God to him not do anything but respond. God is a father. And when his kids cry out to him, what does any good father do? He comes to see them, to serve them, to help them. Faith is the vehicle for the move of God that you've been waiting for. Faith is the vehicle for the miraculous. Let me say it another way. Let me say another way. God honors faith because faith honors God. That when you are walking in faith, when you are believing, when you are trusting, when you are desperate on your knees for a move of God, and you believe that he can do it, and you know that he's going to show up, guess what God's going to do? He's going to show up because God honors faith because faith honors God. But on the flip side, unbelief prevents the miraculous from happening in your life. And I can't tell you, as a pastor, how many people I hear that would say, I would believe in God if, fill in the blank. If God would do this, then I would believe in him. If I could see a miracle, then I would believe the message. No, you wouldn't, because the miracle only confirms the message. The miracle is only God's way of proving who Jesus is and the message that he has been here with. The miracles are the evidence of the kingdom of God that is fully revealed. And if you're not satisfied with the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what magic trick Jesus does, you're still not going to believe because unbelief misses the obvious. Unbelief also, it focuses on the irrelevant and it prevents the miraculous from happening in your life. But so many people would say, I would believe in God if. I believe in God if he would restore my marriage. How about you believe in God and then watch him restore your marriage? 
How about you have faith in God for your finances instead of waiting for God to do something in your finances? You say, I'll believe in God if he gets me out of debt and pays off my student loans. How about you believe in God and then trust him with your finances? People would say, oh, I would believe in God if, if God would bless me, if God would heal me, if God would move on me. That's not the way that it works. It comes faith, then breakthrough. Belief, then blessing. When you have faith, God cannot do anything but move in your life. I know it. I've seen it. I've seen people's lives totally changed. I've seen lives transformed by the wonder-working power that comes from God. I've seen drug addicts delivered. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen sick people healed. I have seen God do incredible, amazing things, and he wants to do these same things in your life. But in order for you to see this, you must answer this one question. Who is Jesus? Is he just a carpenter? Is he just the son of Mary? Is he just another religious leader, one among many, or is he something more? Is he who he said he was? Can he do the things that he said he did? Is Jesus something more to you than just an old story you read when you were a kid and you haven't picked up since junior high? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he Christ? Is he your Messiah? Is he your King? Either Jesus is God or he's not. Get off the fence and start living your life according to your convictions. Who is Jesus? Your whole life hinges on how you answer this question. Nazareth rejected him, and he could do no great work there. You want to see God work in your life? Don't reject him. And if you reject him, there's nothing he can do for you. So you have a decision today to reject him or to accept him. The choice is yours. And I know that today was an intense message. Okay, some of you are like, grand opening, yay, this is going to be great. And then you walk in, you're like, whoa. <laughs> When's the pizza? <laughs> I know that this was an intense message today, but I believe that it's a very important message. Yes. Amen. Because today is the grand opening of our, our new building. And for me, Beaumont is my Nazareth. Because this is where I was raised at. This is where I grew up at. That I grew up in church here. And I, I, I knew people from here. That I played sports here. I used to go skate downtown. I played in punk bands down here. I had my first beer over there, legal beer over there. This is where I grew up at, and this is where I spent my life running away from God at. And then about the age of 20, the Lord saved me quite miraculously. And me and my wife, we, we began loving and serving the local church because we wanted to see a church where people felt safe to come in and hear the good news of Jesus. And so we're loving and serving the church, and then the Lord called us to go plant churches. We planted churches in Houston and New York, and for years we were gone, loving, doing ministry. It was exciting. And then about four years ago, we moved back to Beaumont. And we began to pray and say, God, where do you want us to go next? God, what do you want us to do next? God, God, who do you want us to reach next? And we were praying. We were like, God, man, Portland, Austin, right? Houston, Seattle. And God said, Beaumont. 
So what we did is we just got a job waiting tables. My wife became a barista at a coffee shop. And we went back to our hometown and we just started asking people questions. Who is Jesus? What do you think? What do you believe? Do you go to church anywhere? No. Are you connected anywhere? No. And the answers that we were getting was very heartbreaking. That it was a whole city of people who have been raised in church but have lived their life walking away from Jesus. That, yeah, we had praying grandparents and we had decent parents, but then this generation is just not following after him. And so our heart began to break and we began to dream and we began to plan and we began to pray. What would it look like for us to reach our city? What would it look like for us to to plant a new life-giving gospel-centered church in the heart of the city so that every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus? What would it be like for us to see a group of people, a room of people who are willing to say that Beaumont is my Nazareth, that Beaumont is my hometown, that Beaumont is the place that God has planted me to see a mighty move. Beaumont, we do not have to be redemption. We, Nazareth, we do not have to be Nazareth. We have the opportunity to see a mighty move of God. We have the opportunity to see people get saved, people get baptized. We have the opportunity to see a city renewed through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Beaumont does not have to be Nazareth. And some of you say today, but Byron, you don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what other people have said about me. You don't know about my church past experience. You don't know what other people have rejected me. And the answer is no, I don't know. I don't know what you've gone through or the rejection that you've experienced. But here's what I do know. It pales in comparison to the rejection that Jesus experienced. Here's what we see in Mark 6, that Jesus was rejected by his hometown. Jesus was rejected by his church. Jesus was rejected by religious leaders. Jesus was rejected by his his nation. Jesus was rejected by his government. Jesus was rejected by his friends. Jesus was rejected by his family. Jesus was rejected by his followers. And ultimately, Jesus was rejected by you. That it's your sin that rejected Jesus and led him to the cross. And that Jesus leaves Nazareth and he makes a beeline to Calvary. We're on the cross experiencing your rejection. Jesus goes, tested, tried, crucified, and Jesus gives his life so that your rejection through him could be accepted by God. That Jesus was rejected so that you can be accepted by God. Don't let man's rejection stop you from accepting Jesus. Jesus is right here. Jesus is right there. He says, you've rejected me before, but I'm giving you another shot. You've turned your back on me before, I'm giving you another shot. If you place your hope in me, trust in me, faith in me, then you will see me move in your life. Jesus was rejected so you can be accepted by God. So who do you think Jesus is? Some of you have rejected him because of the obvious. And I would say, come back home. Some of you would reject him because of irrelevant reasons. Say, don't. Don't let other people's opinion change your opinion of Jesus. And then others of you, you need a move of God in your life. You need a miracle. If you have faith, 
God honors faith because faith honors God. You want to see God move? It starts with faith. Who is Jesus? It's your choice. Reject him or accept him, but never say, I don't know who he is because now you do. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.